1: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. So, the fine folks over at NetHealth are responsible for Redoc powered by XFIT. It's a cloud based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution. So, it helps you to expand your visit capacity, improve your workflow efficiency, you get paid for your services, so you're not leaving any money on the table. It helps you to ramp up patient engagement to make sure that they keep coming back only when they need you, and finally eliminate worries about documentation and compliance. So, if you want to learn more about Redoc powered by Xfit, hop on over to nethealth.com/healthy. Again, to learn more about Redoc and the complete revenue cycle management services, check them out at nethealth.com/healthy. All right, on to today's episode. As you all know, the month of August is all about highlighting other podcast hosts. And in this episode, I get to have three of them on. So I've got Brandon, F. Scott, and Stephanie. They are all the co hosts of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. And they were gracious enough to find a time where all three of them can come on together. And we spoke a little bit about their journeys in both their careers and in podcasting up to this point. And then from all of the interviews that they've done since beginning the podcast, we talked about what is physical therapy getting right when it comes to education And what are some things that need to be improved that maybe we can do better? They had great insights stemming from their interviews and from themselves. So I want to thank Brandon, F. Scott, and Stephanie for coming on the podcast. And they'll tell you a little bit more about themselves in the podcast. So this intro isn't like a million years long, Uh, but I want to thank them very much. And everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello, Brandon and F. Scott and Stephanie welcome to the podcast. So now you're on the other side of the microphone. So welcome to all of you. And before we get started, I'll have each of you just talk a little bit about yourself. So Brandon, why don't we start with you?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, Karen, again, thank you so much for the opportunity to just speak with you and your listeners today. And thank you for all the work that you've done through Healthy, Wealthy, Smart as you've definitely been one of the innovators with podcasting in the PT world. So I have Very high respect for you and what you've done. Um, A little bit about me. My story is really not that super exciting. Um, I graduated in 2015 from DPT school from Northern Illinois University. After that, I kind of realized I really liked this girl, and she was going to medical school in Michigan. So I was like, "Well, I kind of better make a move there if I want to make something happen of it." So I went to Michigan in the Detroit suburbs for a couple of years. Worked at a hospital outpatient job, so doing a lot of ortho, neuro, and kind of figuring out a couple things but then after that she ended up getting matched to her residency program for surgery in Richmond Virginia here so I've been here for about the past year um, and part of the re and part of the stuff that I kind of like to do right now is I'm mostly looking to kind of be a clinician I'll be starting fellowship soon so I'm excited to start that training because ultimately I want to be the best clinician I can be and ultimately do something within education to contribute to making things better
0: for the next generation.
1: Awesome. And, F. Scott, I'll have you take the mic next.
0: Sure. My story is a little bit more uh, of a of a journey that that probably most people don't take when when becoming a physical therapist. I was an English major at Wake Forest, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do uh, with my life uh, until my senior year. I had so much free time that I took uh, bowling, golf, and intro to Japan, and uh, just just had so much free time I needed to, to fill it, so I, I started volunteering at the hospital uh, there in Winston-Salem, which was great. Uh, they put me in the PT department, but uh, I didn't have any of the prereqs after looking at how to become a PT, so I had to take another year uh, of classes just to get all my prereqs in, uh, where I was finally able to get into East Carolina University. Um, I did my master's program there, and I was actually the first year where they offered a transitional doctorate. Um, so I, I said that sounds great. I think that's the direction the field is heading. I think I should do it. So I started it there at ECU, um, but then my life kind of got in the way and threw me a curveball there. My dad had gotten sick um, and he had ha- had some heart problems, and he ended up passing away. And I wasn't able to complete the program at ECU in time before the window of opportunity closed. Uh, at which point, I just wanted to travel and get away from from Charleston for a little while and kind of find myself. And while I was doing that, I applied to Saint Augustine's Transitional Doctorate and ended up finishing my Transitional Doctorate there. Um, which, while I was there, the head of the educational program at the time, the educational doctorate, asked if I wanted to teach at all. And you know, I said no. My, my dad was an English teacher, and I didn't really enjoy a lot of his classes, so I I don't think it's for me. Um, but you know, they kind of said, well, some of the classes you took kind of overlap, so you could shorten the program up a little bit. Just think about it. And I I, I did I, I did some thinking on it and. I figured if my back goes out or my hands go out or I just can't perform manual therapy anymore, I could at least go into teaching. Uh, so fast forward three or four more years, and uh, here I am trying to finish up my dissertation and uh, still trying to figure out what I want to do with this educational doctorate because I'm not sure that I fit the traditional academia mold. But, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what led me to Brandon and, and, and the podcast. And so that's my story, and I'm sticking to it.
1: Oh, that's a great story. I'm sorry about your dad.
0: Yeah, it was, you know, like I said, it was somewhat unexpected, but uh, at the same time, it was one of those things where we we knew he had to have surgery or else it was going to end up uh, in a bad outcome anyway. Um, But it's definitely helped kind of shape my path, which, you know, somewhat unintentionally, but at the same time, I think it's also led me to a lot more opportunities because of the directions that I've taken since. So um like I said it's it's been an, a weird winding journey but uh I I've, I've enjoyed most of the most of the journey up until now anyway.
1: Well that's good. That's good. That's quite a story. I didn't know any of that. So thanks for sharing. And how about you Steph?
3: So I graduated from PT school uh in 2015. I graduated from Washington University in St. Louis um and uh while going to PT school I actually took a year off and got a master's degree in clinical investigation, and got to do a whole entire year of research, which was really, really awesome. And after doing that year of research, and um, uh, after doing that year of research, I really realized that you know one of the things I wanted to do in physical therapy is not only contribute to the literature of physical therapy, but also educate not just patients, not just students, but uh, the general public on what we do. And so when I graduated from PT school, I moved to um, Minnesota and North Dakota area and started working in, rural, in a rural practice. I uh, got very involved in advocacy and I've been involved in advocacy since I was a student and did a lot of education, educating policymakers and people within my community about what physical therapy can offer and um, how we can help improve healthcare costs and quality. So that's a lot where my education came in. Along the way, I started uh, teaching students. So I was a clinical instructor, and that kind of started showing me that something I would really like to do someday is get into education. Um, Those opportunities kind of expanded into some speaking opportunities within different conferences. Um, And while doing that, I realized that, oh, my gosh, like I really love – I really love inspiring people to really be the best that they can be. And so that's when Brandon kind of came to me. I've only been on this podcast now since about February and asked if, you know, maybe we could bring in the APTA uh, audience a little bit more into our podcast and started getting involved in the healthcare education transformation podcast. And so that's kind of been my journey into podcasting. If you would have asked me if I was going to be doing a podcast podcast. Even a year ago, I would be like, well, I don't know anything about podcasting. So it's been a really great experience, and it's really expanded kind of on that mold and my mission to really educate people on what physical therapy does, what physical therapy is, and how we can really help um, healthcare become the best that it can be.
1: Awesome. And I think if you asked any one of us if we ever thought we would be hosting a podcast one day, I'm sure we can all definitively say no.
2: (laughs) Amen. Absolutely. Yep.
1: I think it's a big no. All right. So Stephanie, you mentioned the podcast. So this whole month I'm bringing on different podcast hosts from physical therapy and from outside of physical therapy um, to highlight different podcasts and different hosts. So you three are the hosts of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. So can you tell the listeners a little bit more about your podcast and the mission behind it?
2: Yeah, so I'm going to go back just a little bit to kind of give some context on how it was actually formed. So um, to kind of dig into more of my story a little bit more, because I didn't go into this detail initially, um, but working my first job in outpatient, hospital-based outpatient, I'm not going to lie, I really, really struggled those first few months. Like, I got frustrated, burned out. I felt like I wasn't prepared. I felt like I wasn't happy anymore. And I was reading all the books and I didn't do any social media or any of that other stuff at that time because I just said, well, the stuff in school has to be right, right? And I was wrong. But anyway, I was so close to actually getting out of the profession that one day I actually was on our um, DPT students, um, not the DPT students grade, but our um, university program page. And one of my colleagues said, you know, you guys should listen to this podcast. This guy is awesome. And it was actually PT on Ice. And I'd never heard of it before. So I listened to this guy and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, like he is saying everything that I'm thinking. He is saying every problem that I'm having. He's answering the things that are really giving me those issues." I'm like, "Oh my god." So I started listening to him, Greg Todd, Yours and a few others too, and I've just and honestly, podcasting is really one of the few things that kind of helped pull me out of frustration because before then I applied for residency, didn't get it. I felt like I was kind of like crushed and I was actually really close to getting out, but thankfully I didn't. So then And to add it to another level of that, in PT school, I had always loved being a CI in clinic, like of all the opportunities in PT school, being a CI to a second year student in our school's clinic was the most fun that I had in those entire three years. So I'm like, okay, I know I'm going to do this at some point. I'm not ready yet because I need to figure out what the heck I'm doing first and get a good system down. But once I feel ready for that, that's something I'd love to pursue. But I've always been like, do I want to go another level? Do I want to teach formally? Do I want to do other stuff too? But I don't know how to really find out about what that's about, if that's right for me, what that entails. And I love podcasts. And I don't see a podcast that's really devoted specifically to this area. I mean, there are some episodes here and there. Don't get me wrong. There is some stuff out there. But it's not all kind of saturated and kind of confined in one region that's easy, always easy to find. So I kind of had this thought one day back in April of 2017, and I was like, you know, what if we did a podcast on this, just hypothetically? So then I sent messages out to some people, including Ben Fung and a few others, and they're just like, oh, you should totally do that. That'd be really good. And I'm like, oh, crap, that means I have to do this now. So Ben actually said, you know, you should reach out to this guy because he's got some similar frustrations. And I think you two would make a good team. Hence... F. Scott so the big reason behind our mission is a we did this because we both kind of felt frustrated and we felt kind of lost to a degree in terms of what we want to do from our personal side with a career like with terms of pursuing a career in education so part of it is we want to really make sure that we can target individuals that have some interest in learning about how to be an educator formally whether that be a clinician instructor like a CI professor you know, CEU teacher, whatever the role may be to kind of really learn the ins and outs and find more information about that in kind of like the real world setting, not just what I can just read online from something that's not giving me the most relevant, up-to-date stuff. But then also B is we both kind of felt a little bit frustrated with healthcare education from what we went through. And we're not experts on this. We're not trying to be, but we want to try to learn more about healthcare education by talking with people within those settings, but also Talking about how can we bring all, how can we really talk about bringing forth some solutions to really make things better. So that's those are the two main goals behind our podcast and why we started it.
1: Great. Yep, Scott.
0: Yeah, for me, I think it was you know again like Brandon said, being frustrated with the healthcare education system that I had gone through, and then being involved in an educational doctorate, and again like I mentioned, not knowing where I wanted to go with it. So you know, I was going to try to figure it out by having on guests that have done things with terminal degrees or, you know, not terminal degrees even. And and how did they kind of navigate the waters of, of healthcare education? Um, and I think at first I was afraid to admit that I didn't know where I wanted to go with an extra $40,000 terminal degree, right? It was kind of a scary, scary thing to come to terms with. But after having a lot of these experts on it kind of put me at ease seeing that there's so many different avenues and there's so many different ways to leverage, you know, any of your degrees that really you just have to start kind of thinking outside the box a little bit. And it was comforting hearing these experts and knowing that I, at first I almost experienced, you know, a sense of just overwhelm and like, how am I going to go into these large systems and try to change healthcare education by myself as one guy from the inside out? And I think, you know, by having the experts on to talk about their particular niche, that it, it, it just made me feel like there are other people out there trying to fight the good fight and trying to do the right thing. And it's great to know that I don't have to know. I can just ask these people who do know and get some really great insight on, you know, what's working and what's not. And, and really, you know, help, use that to help guide me and make my decisions moving forward as I try to navigate through these degrees. And I... I think one of the key things here is if we look at the podcast as a whole, we now have three co-hosts. We have myself, who's always been kind of relatively anti-academia and one foot out out of the boat. Brandon, who's kind of been unsure and in the middle. And then Stephanie, who's been a little bit more pro-academia and pro-APTA So the three of us combined have really actually been a great fit for the show, and I think it's helped really mold things in a great direction and helped accelerate it uh, over the last couple months, for sure.
3: Awesome. And, And I would say, you know, I remember when Brandon messaged me on, I can't remember if it was Twitter or Facebook, asking me, you know, when they started this podcast, if this is something that I would ever be interested in or if... You know, there were people that I could recommend that could be on the podcast, and I remember thinking, "Wow, like really, nobody is paying attention to healthcare education." This is not a podcast that uh, podcast topic that I'm familiar with. And so, when they started the show, I I definitely started listening to it and was quite impressed with um, the quality of the interviews, the quality of the guests, Um, and then when. Brandon and Scott asked if I wanted to be a part of it. I was just like wow me like you want me to help with this And one of the reasons I wanted to get involved was because I have had heard so many of the same stories That Brandon just told me and told us and that F. Scott just told us from my friends and other colleagues within APTA and outside of APTA who are especially new graduates and really don't know where to go after they graduate from school because there's kind of this weird like limbo that a new graduate has so as a student especially if you're involved in APTA you have like this great family all these PTs saying oh yeah I'm so excited that you're involved let's get you more involved like here you know here's some advice and then you graduate from school and it's like well you're not a part of the student assembly Yet people tell you that you need to gain more experience in order to be on committees, in order to uh, be involved in certain things. So like, where do you go? And I think that that's one of the things that this podcast has really helped me better communicate with people that just because you are a new graduate or because maybe you feel like you're in a burnout situation or you don't really have a place that you're not inspired by physical therapy anymore. There's always a new place that you can go. And here, let us help you find that new place. And a lot of it has to do with educating other people about what we do, about what you do. And that's not just in the academic realm, that's in other realms of healthcare as well. And so just, that's kind of the reason that I wanted to be involved in this podcast and some of the Lessons I guess that I have learned from being involved within the last couple months that I've been here
0: Yeah, that's a great point Stefan. and one of the things that I love doing is just telling people. Oh, we've got an episode for that You know, it's like it, When people say oh, you should try this or this. Oh, there's an app for that Well, it's cool to say like and reference like oh, I think we've got an episode on that check out this number, you know Or like this episode. It's great to just be able to easily refer people to what they're looking for if they're looking for answers
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and that is a really when you have a as your catalog grows, and you have more uh, topics and more guests. It's really great that you can say, you know, something. Why don't you listen to this episode? I think it might help clear some things up for you, and that's great. I love when I'm able to say that as well. It's really fun. And now, uh, F Scott, so you alluded to a little bit when in talking about the podcast. That you know, you talk about what works and what doesn't work. So all three of you have interviewed a lot of different people in the physical therapy world and outside of the physical therapy world within the confines of education. So let's stick to physical therapy for, for now. So what is working education-wise in the physical therapy world? We'll start out with what is working, and then we'll, after that, go into maybe what can be improved.
0: Yeah. So the final question that we ask all of our guests on the podcast is if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or other healthcare related, what aspect would you change and how would you go about changing it? And I think really that's been the, the root of our episodes uh, is to try to get down to that question uh, from the experts and hear what their opinion is. And I think realistically, you know, for me, the biggest one that, that, you know, I've kind of latched onto, and this isn't the most popular answer. I think I'll leave the most popular answer for, for Brandon there. But the one that I've kind of latched onto is that there's been a wish for more interprofessional communication and collaboration, uh, trying to break down the silos between, um, you know, basically, Different healthcare fields and different healthcare providers and I, I think that's what we tried to do with our our podcast and and I think that's what I'm trying to do. I know as a as a professional, I'm trying to to do more collaborations with people outside of the field of physical therapy um, and I think I'm trying to do things that are, you know, maybe out of my comfort zone a little bit, but at the same time, I know it's going to make me a better professional and I know it's going to make me a better provider, you know, of healthcare. So. Um, I think realistically that I, I know we're kind of going down the, the negative route on this side, but that I think is one of the things that people wished that they were seeing more of, um, you know, is it, just that interprofessional collaboration. And I, I know there's some programs out there that are trying to do it, but I think realistically uh, we, we've still got a little bit of ways to to go on that one.
1: Yeah. And I think that's fair. I'm pretty sure that's what I said um, during my episode. Mm-hmm. Um was that more interprofessional. And uh, what about Steph or Brandon? Like, what do you think are maybe some things that need to be, so let's start with things that um, need to be improved and then we'll go, we'll end with the strength. So we'll end on a high note that works better anyway.
2: That'll work. So I'll kind of go. So honestly, there's a lot of things that our guests have said throughout the podcast and I think they all have a lot of merit, and I think that a lot of them bring up some many, many good points. So I don't want to just say my number one one, as it is right now, is the only one. So I will say the one that's definitely the most common among all of them, because I think that this answer and this problem is, plays a big role in a lot of the other problems as well to a degree, and that is regarding the financial outlook on it. So, especially with the cost of education, which means students are going to have a lot more debt. That means when they get out, so they have to take those jobs that maybe pay a lot that maybe are not the best environments to work in. Then it's more straining on doing any other sorts of professional development. And and it's even within academia too, I mean, there's, I mean, we can't deny that finances are involved and run a lot of it too. So. and I don't know what the absolute solution is for that for sure. And I know a lot of guests have given some good unique ideas yet, but I think from a problem standpoint, I think that drives a lot of what we do and a lot of our decision making behind that. Um, so that if I could say that for, for in terms of some of the big problems, I would say that's probably one of the biggest ones I've really come across. And I think that's something that we've all kind of experienced as well. Um, I, I think that'd be my answer. Steph, what are your thoughts?
3: Yeah so I mean the most popular answer as Brandon said is the um, debt crisis. Um, I would say this is um, a relatively popular answer probably not the most popular answer but I would just say that trying to improve um, problem solving and clinical uh, critical reasoning within the student population is really important. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that potentially we are, our profession is growing. We're opening a lot more programs and a lot of there are some of the newer programs don't have a lot of the resources that maybe some of the more established programs have. And so teaching to the uh, NPTE versus teaching towards uh, critical thinking skills or clinical reasoning skills is a big issue that we have heard come up on the podcast. So I would say that that's something that I would like to see change in healthcare education, um, that potentially uh, we've had guests who have had great solutions for that, and hopefully someday that's something that will happen. And
1: can we quickly uh, talk about some of the solutions to each one of your... uh, Descriptions of weaknesses within the education. So I'll have Steph. Why don't you take it first? So what are some possible solutions to this critical thinking and clinical reasoning conundrum?
3: So some of the proposed, one of the properly most popular proposed solutions is the implementation of a mandatory residency. Uh, of course, then you get into the problem that Brandon described earlier, which is the debt crisis. And that is, so, you know, it's kind of like a double-edged sword that being in a residency does allow an extra year of mentorship. So it does potentially allow for people to develop those clinical reasoning skills. The other solution that that guests have proposed have been improving clinical education. Uh, There are you know, just as many probably good clinical instructors as there are bad clinical instructors. And it's really unfortunate when a student gets put into a situation where the clinical instructor sees them as somebody that can just treat their patients because they and improve their productivity there by improving profits versus using that experience as a way to improve the profession and, and help mold that, that person into being an amazing clinician. And that's something that I think is so important as a clinical instructor is you should be more worried about how the student perceives you as a teacher than the student is perceiving how you, how the student, how you perceive the student. Because in the end, you're the, you're going to be one of the reasons why that student is able to be an independent practitioner and is able to problem solve and clinically um, uh clinically predict some uh, clinical re, clinically reason through patient problems so um, those are the two solutions that I think um, are are probably most common to that one problem
1: yeah and then so then that solution let's say we're talking mandatory residencies which was proposed but did not gain any traction and I just spoke with Eric Robertson the other day and we spoke about this as well um, so Then one of the big reasons is because of, well, the debt, number one. Um, Number two, there are not enough residency programs to handle all of the graduates. It is a numbers game and the math does not work. So then you're talking about having to develop tons of new residency programs. So then how do you then oversee that all those residency programs are up to par and so on and so forth. I think you start going down a rabbit hole. But, um, so, but Eric did talk about that. So Brandon, let's go now to uh, some solutions for the cost and student debt uh, issue of healthcare education or PT education.
2: Yeah. And I'll say with some of the bigger ones that I've kind of heard in terms of how's the best way to address that. So the first and foremost one that really seems to come to mind is shortening DPT education to two years um, to the didactic model. And then their last year, they're kind of in more of a paid internship where they actually get paid for their time. And it's kind of like setting them up for residency. Um, To me, that really seems to make a lot of sense. I think we're also seeing an emergence of lot of other online online learning modules and methods as well. So I think that's going to A, improve the accessibility too, rather than having to go into just being in a traditional classroom all the time. So I think that's going to solve a lot of other things that way. Um, We actually heard not too long ago from Janet Besner. She had this actually really unique idea that I frankly had not heard of before, but, and I don't know how the logistics of this play out, but seeing how to get DPT programs, maybe associated and accredited without being a part of a university so that because ultimately we've learned from others is that it's not the DPT program that necessarily sets the cost. It's the people and the finances above them. So if, and I thought her idea was really unique in terms of how can maybe we, if it's an option to start to look into us being maybe separate from a university and could that maybe change the cost value of that too. So, I mean, those are two absolute big ones for sure. And there's a lot of other things too, but I think a lot of other, a lot of our guests honestly have been kind of afraid to go at this topic because I think a lot of them it's out of their control and it's definitely, I think there's definitely a lot of people that realize that it's a problem and it needs to be addressed. But I think it was interesting. One of our guests kind of said this off the record that, you know, they're charging all that money because they can and they can get away with it. I mean, if they, if they have the supply, if they have the supply of students that are willing to pay for it, what's the incentive for them to stop doing that? Because yeah. they're not getting funding None. from the state either.
1: Right. No incentive. Mm-mm. Another difficult part is that if you're coming right out of high school and you know, you want to be a physical therapist. I think it might be a little bit easier for you to plan because maybe you won't go to the fancy expensive private school but you'll go to your state school and maybe pay a couple thousand I don't know how much a state school is I'm from Pennsylvania I think my sister paid like 5000 a year to go to Penn State as a Pennsylvania resident. So I think if you know you're out of high school and you're going to be a PT go to a state school don't rack up all that undergrad debt and then when you go into PT school perhaps it's not as bad. Um, but I think there's also other programs that you can look at in your area or in your, your home state. Like for instance, Jason Falvey uh, grew up in Maine and he had some program from his high school that if you graduated first or second in your class, you went to this undergraduate program for free which he did, so he went to that for free. And then when he went to PT school, I feel like he did that somehow on scholarship or grants or things, so that was practically free. And then now he's getting his PhD at the University of Colorado at Denver and the NIH is picking up the bill. So he actually learned how to like, sort of go through the system being really creative and doing a lot of hard work. Um, and is kind of practically free education.
3: Yeah, and I think you make bring up a good point, Karen, is that one of the reasons why um, people go get their MD-PhD is because it's something that through the uh, Physician Scientist Training Program, the NIH will pay for. And that is not an opportunity that we as physical therapists have the NIH will not pay for a physical therapist scientist training program. And there are programs, I think, now that are developing dual DPT, PhD programs. I'm not really sure if they're, like, if you get your tuition discounted or something, if you blend the two programs. But that's something I would love to see in our profession because we need more. This is another big problem we've heard. We need more academics we need because you need a terminal degree now to teach within a DPT program. We need more academics in those DPT programs. We're very short staffed. There's not enough people to fill those positions. What better way to decrease debt and also increase the amount of uh, available faculty that are qualified to teach by having a physical therapist scientist training program. And on that note, we're gonna take a quick break to hear from our sponsor.
1: PTs, what do you hope to accomplish in 2018? I bet providing even better patient care and increasing revenue are top on the list. First, expand your visit capacity. Then get paid for your services, ramp up patient engagement, and eliminate worries about documentation and compliance. The good news is there's one solution that brings it all to the table. Redoc, powered by Xfit, is a cloud-based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution. Imagine PT billing, coding, compliance experts taking the back office work off your hands and reporting to you. Learn more about Redoc and Complete Revenue Cycle Management Services at nethealth.com slash healthy. So, Ev Scott, let's talk a little bit about what, any, what solutions there may be for the problem that you brought up, which was having some more interdisciplinary uh, educational opportunities in school.
0: Yeah. Um, before we head there real quick, I just want to touch on one point that Steph brought up and I think I'm going to preach it to my kids. I don't know if they'll listen, but, uh, you know, I did it pretty wrong in hindsight. Uh, I went to a private school, then I went to a state school, which wasn't terrible. Then I went back to a private school again. I'm going to preach that they go to community college for two years, then state school for two years then probably any grad school they want at that point. Cause realistically at that point it should be cheap enough that I should be able to cover that, you know, for them. But you know, I, if I had to do it all over again, that's probably the path I would have taken. I I just wanted to get out of New York. It was so cold. The winters were brutal. Cost of living was too high.
1: I live in New York. Uh, Yeah, I know. I know.
0: (laughs) I I lived there my whole life. and, and, And when it snows on your birthday and it's April, it's time to go, you know? Um, but yeah, I, that's it that,
3: never snows on my birthday in Connecticut because my birthday's in July.
0: Yeah. Rough, real rough. Uh, let me, yeah, I, I, just, you know, I'm going to preach to my kids. I hope they listen. I, you know, I don't know, but that's they the way probably I probably won't. No, no. Um, but as far as the interprofessional thing, I think realistically there's been a couple of really good answers and the one that kind of sticks out the most is to ditch lectures, um, get rid of lectures and let's just get out into the clinic and do more um, rounding and clinical learning with the other professions in the real setting. Um, You know, more problem-based learning, more, and and there's some medical schools that are doing this too. We had a couple of guests on that were uh, heads of medical schools that are trying to get away from lectures completely and just go straight into community-based and problem-based learning, um, which I think is great. And I think, you know, at that point, what do you do? You bring in the next person in line to help treat that patient and you talk about, you know, how that's going to work. Um, realistically, I think we probably need to be doing a little bit more um, interprofessional lectures, though, as well, if we're going to keep that model. There needs to be more, um, you know, where we both sit in the same classroom and maybe, you know, work through a, a case study or something like that. Um, you know, that's been some of the, the kind of thoughts that there has been. And, th- and then at the end of the day, realistically, There just needs to be better interprofessionalism amongst healthcare, right? I mean, just everything we do needs to be supportive of each other and not bashing each other or tearing each other down or pointing fingers. Like we just need to get back to patient centric care and and making sure that everybody's involved in knowing who to send somebody to and when in order to get the best possible patient outcomes at the end of the day. I know a lot of the people who who said that we need more interprofessional uh, collaboration basically said that healthcare needs to get back to a patient-centric view and patient-centric model. And if we do that, you know, and we can all be positive and supportive, that should come naturally
1: yeah I think that's incredible advice and And if you're not getting that interdisciplinary education in school or even if you're in you know a small outpatient clinic outside of a hospital, obviously in a hospital, you're going to get a lot of interdisciplinary communication. I would suggest making it a point to go to interdisciplinary conferences versus only going to an APTA conference or only a conference where there's physical therapists there um, and going to conferences that are not taught by physical therapists, I think are uh, at least some ways that we as uh, clinicians can kind of open our minds a little bit. And then perhaps if you're a CI and you just went to an interdisciplinary um, conference, you can impart that onto your student, onto your students' uh, um, professors, things like that. So maybe we can make, if you make these little cracks in the pavement, they, they can become bigger and bigger.
0: Yeah, no, I love that advice, Karen. And I think, you know, you're leading by example then too, right? Because you're also... Showing your students and and you know your coworkers that hey like these are things we need to be doing We need to be getting out of our own comfort zone out of our own little bubble And seeing what other providers are doing and what what kind of value can be gained by attending a conference That's outside of your profession for sure
1: Absolutely, okay, so we went through the things that maybe we can do better So let's talk about the things now that you guys have discovered through your podcast that we're doing quite well
2: I think a couple things, you know, kind of going back to both anecdotal, my experience, but also kind of what I've learned from the podcast is that some things that I do think we do well is I think they cover the basics of a lot of the basic sciences and anatomy and movement within the basics of that. I think they do cover that very well with teaching some baseline skills. So I think that that like being able to know those skills independently is pretty well covered. The problem is how do you use it? how do you know what to do with those tools and how to use when, for what, at what time, at what level of vigor. Um, so I think, you know, getting an overview of a lot of different avenues, because at the end of the day, I do understand that not everyone wants to be ortho not everyone wants to be neuro, not everyone wants to be acute care. And there has to be this kind of this broad exposure because at the end of the day, people are going to choose different routes and, and that's okay. I mean, we're training them to be safe generalists, to to are safe to enter practice. I mean, at the end of the day. So I, I think we do do a good job of getting some overview and kind of getting at what are some of the important things that we need to know on all these different avenues. Because if even if you're in orthopedic practice, you're probably going to have to deal with some cardiopulmonary aspect at some point. You're probably going to see a neuropatient in some regard at some point. So you do need to have some background on everything to a degree. Now, you don't have to know all the specialty high level stuff to, you know, all the time for, you know, if you're treating someone for that, but you know, but if you, you need to have an understanding of the basics. So I think that's one thing that I've heard. I think that I've heard and I've experienced that they do really well right now.
3: And I would say that the thing that has impressed me a lot is I am so incredibly inspired by the innovation that goes on in healthcare education. I mean, we've had a lot of guests come on our show and some of the things that they talk about on how they, um, have, on how they have implemented different things in their specific programs or with their patients or with their students are extremely innovative. And the fact that they're not mainstream just always blows my mind. So there are a lot of great innovative things going on in healthcare education. It's just not as widespread as I think that we would like it to see. I mean, we're millennials, so we want to see change super fast and it, you know, changes slow. So I think that that is something that really inspires me and really makes, helps me see that, yeah, you know, there are these problems with healthcare education, but there are so many great solutions. Now it's just a matter of how do we implement them in a timely manner. Yeah, and what are some
1: examples of some things that were innovative that stood out to you?
3: Well, I think, you know, John Childs is... Two year DPT program is a huge innovation within PT, and there are still a lot of people that are not on that train yet. But yet, that's kind of, I mean, he saw this way sooner than many other people, or he was, you know, the one that was brave enough to actually start moving in that direction and implement that. So that's one very well-known solution. We've mentioned a couple throughout this podcast, just about, um, I know that Brandon had mentioned something that uh, Janet Benzer had mentioned as far as a solution. Um, um, so those are just a couple different examples, things that we've mentioned previously, John Childs's solution. Uh, we had an a optometrist on our podcast a while back And he talked about educating, doing some interprofessional collaboration with other healthcare professionals to help people with concussion by using these specific goggles. And I mean, that was probably one of the biggest episodes that just totally blew my mind. I'd never heard of that in my entire life. And yet here's this guy who has his own continuing education program through his company, where you as a physical therapist can learn about this other solution to help people with concussion that's not being taught anywhere else. So um, those are probably a few examples that come to my mind off the top of my head.
2: Yeah, and to add on to that, getting on to some other different ones, too, is we recently had a few people from Quinnipiac University's physical therapy program because they have a unique clinical readiness program that they have implemented. So basically, they go through a set of examples of clinical scenarios that are complex, and they critique the student. And if the student does well, they get to advance. If they don't, they remediate. And I really like that because it's it's really trying to make it as real world as possible. And I think that's something I haven't seen done yet and that they have it all structured. I like when we had Columbia, the Columbia guys on because they talked about their student-led elective. I think that was very innovative. I'd never heard of that. I think that's a fantastic idea that I think, I'm, and that episode will be coming out in the near future so people can have a listen to that. And then coming up down the road, we're also gonna be talking with um, Kyle Covington and Carol Figures from Duke about their faculty residency as well. So I think those are all some other unique avenues of improvements and, you know, some innovation I think need to be mentioned.
1: Awesome. And Ev Scott, let's, uh, we'll finish with you on what are we doing well?
0: I think one of the things that, uh, you know, physical therapy as a field is really starting to do well, uh, kind of the vibe and the sense that I've gotten from our guests and our experts is self-awareness. You know, I think that, we're owning, we're finally coming into our own and we're owning our field as movement experts and, you know, movement and musculoskeletal specialists, Um, you know, and, and I think that we're, we're not, you know, afraid to say that, yeah, we've had a branding problem uh, as, as a, as a field for a while now, you know, we're, we're self-aware enough to know, all right, this is our issue but we're owning it too. And we're saying, we're trying to do everything we can and trying to fix the, the view of physical therapy. And I think we're, we're taking that self-awareness and we're trying to push it toward the public uh, to do good things. You know, I mean, no physical therapist that I know goes out with any sort of malintention or, you know, looks to, to do wrong. I mean, we all want to help people get better and we all think we have pretty good ideas on how to do that. And so I think, you know, Increasing the public's healthcare literacy and just doing the best we can to try to educate and using the best practice models and the best evidence that's out there in order to do that, you know, it's finally starting to take shape. And I think, you know, being self-aware has, has really been a pretty good step in the right direction for the field of physical therapy. You know, we're not perfect, but we're working really hard to try to make it better every day.
1: Great. And I think that's a wonderful way to end our conversation on what we're doing well and maybe not so well. So thank you all so much for your contributions and for your podcast and for the interesting guests that you bring on. And I look forward to more. Now, before we end, I'm going to ask you all the same question. And that is knowing where you are now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give to your younger self?
0: I'll, I'll, I'll take this one because this, this is a pretty easy one for me. Um, I, you know, just don't be afraid, just get out there and do it. You know, like Nike says, just do it. I mean, if you've got an idea or, or, you know, and you're afraid of criticism or anything, just go out and do it. Just try it. Worst case scenario, you learn from it. If it's a terrible flop, you learned how not to do it the next time. You know, it's a pretty cliche phrase. Uh, I think it's Edison who said, Oh, I didn't fail. Uh, when making the light bulb, I found a thousand ways not to make the light bulb, right? It it just literally do it, take action, get out there, try your ideas, do it. Because at the end of the day, it's a learning process until you finally do get it right. At that point, it's a success. So yeah, don't be afraid. Just get out there and do.
2: I totally agree with that. And I'm going to build off that a little bit, because that's going to kind of go into mine as something that I've always heard. And I really do understand it now is your network equals your net worth. So, especially with what we've been able to achieve and who we've met throughout the process, I mean, just the ability to just get out there and talk with people because you never know what you can accomplish and achieve when you talk with all these other people. Like, it's it's amazing. Um, to kind of add on a little bit to what you said, Scott, I would say another big thing I wish I could say to myself is I would also say don't be afraid, but also stay consistent and really focus and practice with the deliberate attempt always to work on getting really out of your comfort zone because we're not going to grow if we don't aren't, if we aren't uncomfortable. So I think get comfortable being uncomfortable.
3: Great. And Steph, do you want to round it out for us? Yeah. So I would say, don't be afraid to ask for feedback. I think that it's really hard um, sometimes to look at yourself and be like, Oh, like I'm not bad at that or ignore something that's maybe a weakness for you, but Um, I think that I have found as I've grown in my career that the times that I make probably the biggest strides with different projects that I'm doing, it's because I wasn't afraid to ask for honest feedback from people that I trust, trusted, and probably in my younger days, that was something that was a lot harder for me. So that's probably the advice that I would give my younger self is ask for feedback from somebody that you trust.
1: Awesome. Well, you guys, I want to thank you so much, Brandon, F. Scott, Stephanie, the co-hosts of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast for coming on my podcast and and sharing everything that you've learned so far. And uh, trust me, you're going to learn a lot more and you're going to meet a lot more people and you never know where it's going to take you. So keep your mind open and keep your hearts open and just keep going forward. That would be my advice to you.
3: Well, thanks for having us on,
1: Karen. It's been
2: a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Thank you, Karen.
1: Anytime. I would love to have you on again. So maybe we'll have to do this maybe in December or something. We'll do another podcast month. So thank you guys so much for coming on and everyone else. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. How great were they? How much do you now want to go check out the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast so you can listen to F. Scott, Brandon, and Stephanie talk all day? In your ears through their podcast. So a huge thanks to all of them for sharing everything that they've learned thus far. And of course, who doesn't also want to go check out NetHealth? So if you want an EMR that's going to really work for you, then check out NetHealth, which is Redock powered by XFit. It's a cloud-based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution. Plus you can opt in to completely outsource billing services. That's the best way to optimize revenue. So imagine PT, billing, coding and compliance experts, taking the back office work off your hands and reporting to you. This lets you do what you want to do with your business, which is treat your patients, grow your business and meet more people. To learn more about Redock and the complete revenue cycle management services, check them out at nethealth.com healthy.